Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolf. This week, we are joined by Dr. Deanna Townsend-Smith, Senior Director of the Dudley Flood Center for Educational Equity and Opportunity, along with the center's namesake, Dr. Dudley Flood, and several other guests who played an integral role in mapping the movement. Mapping the Movement is an initiative aimed at building a network of organizations in North Carolina pushing for educational equity. It includes several events throughout the year, including last month's Color of Education Summit in Raleigh, which drew a crowd of over 800 people. Our guests today are Dr. Deanna Townsend-Smith, Senior Director of the Dudley Flood Center for Educational Equity and Opportunity, Dr. Dudley Flood, Education Advocate, and Flood Center Advisory Board member, as well as namesake of the Dudley Flood Center for Educational Equity and Opportunity, Dr. Keisha Bentley Edwards, the Associate Director of the Samuel Du Bois Cook Center on Social Equity, Dr. Tawana Allen Jackson, Associate Professor at High Point University and Flood Center Advisory Board member, Maya McLean, a student at South Mecklenburg High School, and a co-creator of Charlotte's Black History Documentary, and Morgan Winston, a student at East Mecklenburg High School and the other co-creator of Charlotte's Black History Documentary. We are so pleased to be joined today by Dr. Dudley Flood, education advocate and namesake of our Dudley Flood Center for Educational Equity and Opportunity, and also Dr. Keisha Bentley Edwards, the Associate Director of the Samuel Du Bois Cook Center on Social Equity. Thank you both so much for joining us. We have many different efforts going on through the Flood Center, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the connections and goals of the Mapping the Movement Initiative and Color of Education. Sure. So the Color of Education Summit is our annual big event where we have, this year we had 800 people online and in person, mostly in person in Raleigh, uh, where we talk about the pressing educational matters, um, particularly around racial equity issues in North Carolina. And, and that affects the rest of the country, but with a focus on North Carolina. We have educators, policymakers, keynote speakers, and this year we had concurrent sessions. Um, so it's just an awesome opportunity for uh, collective action as well as some collective care. And building off of the momentum of the Color of Education Summit, we have mapping the movement. And so if we were to think about educating our youth as a group project, mapping the movement takes the group project to a whole nother level. So online, it's a visual representation of the organizations and the um, organizations, the district equity offices, policymakers, parents, teachers, who are all committed to racial equity, where you can see who you can collaborate with, learn from, grow with. And, uh, and then it also is a tangible network uh, where we have meetings together. And we recently had one of those Mapping the Movement meetings. Dudley, I'd love to ask you, how is the work that you led in the past for many, many decades um, relevant to the work now being done through the Color of Ed and Mapping the Movement? That that work was a backdrop and something on which we can stand. However, keep in mind that the issues that we were dealing with were somewhat different in that there was nobody who didn't realize we needed to do what we were doing. They may not necessarily have agreed with doing it or how it was done, but at least they knew it needed to be done. I believe some time has passed over which people thought, well, we've done that now, so we don't 
you to get on in something else. And to have this number of people now recognize that we never finished that business. We began something, we opened the door, we think for this business to continue, but we didn't finish it. So the things that we started in 1969, 70, 71 through 73, about a footnote to what is happening now. Uh, and to see 800 people come together, who at least have, have the notion that we need to be busy about this, just blows me out of the water. I mean, it's, it's literally more than I can comprehend. So I'm grateful that I've had the opportunity early on to uh, hopefully make some progress in that line. But there had been some recapitulation, as anybody would know who studied school. And to see this new movement, new to old folk like me, <laughs> become alive again, it's, just, it's most gratifying, most gratifying. You know, right now we're in a time where there is legislation and other efforts that definitely impact and are related to all the racial equity work we're doing. And one of those that many are hearing about across the state is a new Parents' Bill of Rights that was enacted this year. I wonder if you could both talk a little bit about what limitations or how that Parents' Bill of Rights affects um, our schools. Well, absolutely. Um, the Parents' Bill of Rights, it puts limitations on what can be discussed in the school. And so in some ways, it's a, a Bill of Rights for very specific parents and not necessarily a Bill of Rights for the children that we serve. Uh, and educate and and for their own safety and protection. Uh, school is a safe haven for a lot of kids and to be able to have a space to express yourself um, in a gender expansive way, particularly um, in, in for some families or for, it's not really a safe place to do it at home. And so to take that away from those children can put them at risk. And that's a very tangible risk. And there's a great separation necessary in education between administration uh, and implementation and policy making. And if the roles of bodies like the legislature and like the boards of education, they're policy making people. When that policy dips too far into administration, it has a chilling effect on how we interact within the organization or within the system. Even if it were to be good, it still has a chilling effect because it puts us in a quandary of knowing how far can we go in whatever direction we determine is good for the youth. So I'm, I'm satisfied that we have to have some policy uh, regulating to what, what we do, but once we've got the policy, then I think administrators are capable of looking at how do we implement this. And I think teachers are capable. I know as a teacher myself, I felt fully capable of determining what was appropriate or inappropriate and I would certainly never, ever, ever inject something in my classroom that was inappropriate for a child. Couldn't do that. But I thought I was capable of making that decision. And I, most of the teachers I know are much smarter than I was. And so I do believe them to be capable of making that kind of decision. I'm just curious if you both could share a little bit about how the Dudley Flood Center works pro work provides support to our schools. Dudley? So having a home uh, like... Uh, we have now gives you both freedom and responsibility. Gives you freedom to know that you you don't just talk from your single objective and your single prejudices and all of that. 
but it also gives you accountability because you're surrounded by people who if you have some question in your mind, you have people that you can ask. You say, well, I can call Keisha and, and ask her. She can call me, I can call Mary, and I can call any number of people before I make a statement if there's any question about it. And we have so many controversial, controversial issues floating around now that that, uh, that group of people have to be together. They really have to be. Because if, if they're not together, neither of us has credibility. So the center has just been <laughs> a refuge for people like me who've always wanted somewhere to say, ask them, don't believe me, check with them. And, and, now, we, and now we have that. Keisha, as we wrap up today, what keeps you motivated continue, to continue working towards educational equity? Children, uh, they have so much hope and they're curious and they want to know why. Um, they want to know more. They, they, their imagination for the future really motivates me. But it also fires me up when I see policymakers try to limit their possibilities and their imaginations for their future. And so that's what keeps me motivated is that I feel like children should have the opportunity to learn and grow and, and to be, to just exist, right? And have the support that they need so that they can be healthy and whole. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you for once again, bringing the work of the Dudley Flood Center to life here. We know it's happening every single day across North Carolina and beyond. So thank you for being here. After the break, we will be joined by Dr. Deanna Townsend-Smith, Dr. Tawana Allen-Jackson, and two students from Mecklenburg County. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Participate Learning, uniting our world through global learning. We are so pleased today to be joined by Dr. Deanna Townsend-Smith, Senior Director of the Dudley Flood Center for Educational Equity and Opportunity, Dr. Tawana Allen-Jackson, who's an associate professor at High Point University and also a member of the Flood Center Advisory Board. We're also joined today by Maya McLean, a student at South Mecklenburg High School and co-creator of Charlotte's Black History documentary, and Morgan Winston, a student at East Mecklenburg High School and the other co-creator of Charlotte's Black History documentary. Welcome to all of you. We'd love to begin by talking about the benefits of a culturally affirming curriculum in education. And I wonder, Maya, if we could kick off with you. Yes, that'll be fine. I believe the benefits of a culturally affirming education is creating unification among our nation. America is one of the most diverse societies in the world, and yet we have little understanding of one another and lots of hatred towards each other. This is why I believe it's so important for us to learn about each other's backgrounds, because when we are exposed to other cultures, we eliminate bias and prejudice that we may have once had. This brings us together and allows us to help understand each other more as people. Morgan. I feel as if we all benefit from culturally affirming education um, because it brings a sense of recognition to us all. It makes us feel like we are valued, that our culture is important, that everyone should learn about our culture and be immersed in it appropriately. And, you know, we all have a place in this world that we all have the opportunity to achieve. I feel like once we introduce students' cultures, not only history, but in a place of like 
emphasizing excellence. Um, we make students feel as if they too have the ability to achieve just like everyone else. And Dr. Ellen Jackson and Dr. Townsend Smith, you both bring a different perspective, lifelong educators and very committed to this work as well. What do you see as the key benefits? To me, culturally responsive uh, curriculum is defined as teaching that focuses on advancing student learning. Uh, it, they are also research-based practices and concepts uh, and frameworks that are beneficial to learners at any, any level of instruction. Primarily, they build upon prior experiences and help to develop frames of references so that students can make their learning encounters more relevant and effective for them. A benefit for culturally responsive or culturally affirming curriculum is that it really does focus on students' strengths, their assets, their communities, and helps to infuse those things into teaching and learning. The students put it so eloquently, which is like one of the values of student voice in this space. Ultimately, uh, the belief, and as we have at the Dudley Flood Center, a framework for change, which uplifts this component around modeling. Um, and when students can uh, see themselves in the curriculum, it inspires aspiration and allows students to see themselves and what they can be in the future. Um, when a culturally responsive curriculum uh, is available, student achievement soars and students become productive citizens, which is the ultimate goal of our constitution here in North Carolina. Um, Dr. Townsend Smith, you started speaking a little bit about student voices and how that's been a priority, especially with our mapping the movement initiative across the state. Could you talk a little bit more about that? At the Flood Center, students have, we believe that students have a lot of insight and brilliance. Uh, as you can hear from these students today, student voice is a priority for us and will continue to be. Students are the ones who experience this educational system each and every day. Um, and their involvement in creating and their voice when it's elevated in this educational space um, promotes equity, it incre increases engagement, buy-in, and it provides an opportunity for social engagement. School policies and practices are much more rich and just through gathering their perspectives. As adults, um, and I know personally in my household, I have to remind <laughs> myself, we can learn so much if we take the time to intentionally engage and listen to students. Um, as one of our partners highlighted at this year's Color of Education, there should be nothing developed for them without them. I love that. And here we have two students who have shown us what this looks like. So Maya and Morgan, um, we'd love to hear more about what inspired you to create Charlotte's Black History documentary and what you learned from that process. I guess it started back when we were in fifth grade and we earned our Girl Scout Bronze Award. Uh, we dedicated a bench to Miss Count Scoggins, Dorothy Count Scoggins, um, who integrated uh, Irwin Academic Center when it was Harding High School, when she was in high school. And um, we did this in fifth grade when we realized that nothing had been done to commemorate her brave actions. And so I guess what we took out of that as a whole is that not only is our history not taught, but our excellence as well. And I, I talked about that a little in the last answer, not only just teaching the history, but making sure to put an emphasis on 
Um, it's not all just hardships and it is and the hardships are important to learn and understand. But we also need to make sure that we're teaching children that um, their history is there's beauty in it and there's beautiful heroes who exhibited strength and courage like Miss Count Scoggins. And I think that's really what inspired us, uh, highlighting the, the history and the excellence. Maya, would you like to tell us a little bit about what you learned from that process? So we learned a lot about the film industry. Um, we learned about time management skills, communication skills, and most importantly, we learned a lot about the contributions African-Americans have made towards Charlotte. I certainly cannot wait to see what you all continue to do, because when you say you started and were inspired in fifth grade and how you've grown that, it's just amazing. Um, Dr. Alan Jackson, I wonder if you could share a few of the actionable steps provided through our Color of Education this year, where so many of these themes came together, and as well as these wonderful people that everyone's getting to hear from today. I think one of the ongoing things that I heard in that the color of, of ed lifted is that the classroom is not the only place where learning occurs and that learning is an ongoing process. So with that understanding, it's important to really create supportive networks where students are encouraged to work together and to support each other. It's also important uh, for professional development for um, practitioners, even scholar researchers such as myself, along with anyone else who is really involved in students, um, the way they learn, for us to stay updated on best practices, for creating those equitable environments, which also helps to promote being a lifelong learner. Uh, something else, self-reflection, ref regularly reflecting on our teaching practices and our own biases uh, is something that really promotes that equitable, that equitable uh, place for learning. And that, that includes being open to feedback from students and colleagues and the willingness to make adjustments accordingly. If you had one wish about the future of education in North Carolina, what would that be? For it to be equal for all students, no matter their background. Right now, I feel like a lot of the education we receive is based off of our zip code. To, the, to get to the school that I'm at today, my parents had to go through a lot. And now that I'm at this school, I feel like I'm receiving a much better education than I was at my previous school, which I was at because of my zip code. And um, there's a famous debate of like nature versus nurture. And I believe that success is more geared towards nurture. So if all students in North Carolina and even in America are given the proper nurture and education that they need, I believe we'll have a very strong future generation. Thank you so much for joining us. After the break, this week's final word. This week's final word will be shared by Dr. Deanna Townsend-Smith, Senior Director of the Dudley Flood Center for Educational Equity and Opportunity. Deanna? Together, we can achieve so much more. The Color of Education Summit brings together educators, policymakers, researchers, students, parents, community members, and other key stakeholders focused on achieving racial equity and eliminating racial disparities in education. Color of Education is a partnership between the Dudley Flood Center for Educational Equity and Opportunity, the Public School Forum of North Carolina, and the Samuel Du Bois Cook Center on Social Equity at Duke University and the Center for Child and Family Policy. 
The intent of Color of Education and Mapping the Movement is to bring a collective together to accomplish common goals and objectives by sharing information and resources while creating a synergistic commitment to action. These events help to keep us focused and give us hope that change can be achieved when, when we strategize, organize, and plan for the future we want to see. This year's Color of Education Summit was informed by common priorities and resources discussed over the past year during the Mapping the Movement convenings where we focused on fully funding and implementing the Leandro Comprehensive Remedial Plan, school mental health and safety, recruiting and retaining a diverse educator workforce, and eradicating inequities. Each of these priorities um, ha have a corresponding report, which was shared with, with each of the participants. Report after report confirms these priorities along with our state's constitution, which details recommendations and rights, which we all have a responsibility to ensure are implemented. As our namesake, Dr. Flood often says, we already know everything we need to know about how to eradicate educational inequities. However, we must have a willingness to stay committed to ensuring that every child receives a quality education. Each of the aforementioned goals are important to protecting and supporting every child. As we work to protect and support each child, it is important to elevate their experiences to help inform policy and practice. As the students so eloquently outlined today, representation matters as it instills aspiration and students want and need to understand the past to continue the progress we have made as a nation. The state's constitution forever guarantees education for each child. Further, in 1997, the Supreme Court in Leandro versus the state defined a sound basic education as the following, and I quote, sufficient ability to read, write, speak English, and sufficient knowledge of fundamental math and physical science to enable students to function in a complex and rapidly changing society. Sufficient fundamental knowledge of geography, history, basic economic and political systems to enable students to make informed choices about issues that affect the student personally or in the student's community at the state and nation. And finally, sufficient academic and vocational skills to enable the student to successfully engage in post-secondary education or vocational training and to compete with others in further formal education or gainful employment. Statutes such as the Parent Bill of Rights, which are fundamentally unconstitutional, strip students of their guaranteed right and limits educate educators' ability to fulfill the basic requirements of the Constitution. Moving the arc of justice requires action by the people, which includes students impacted by the education they receive. Through Color of Education and Mapping the Movement, we are building and expanding a coalition which will work together to ultimately eradicate systemic inequities. If you missed this year's Color of Education, we plan to provide an opportunity to subscribe to a limited number of sessions available through the end of 2023. 
For more information about the Color of Education and Mapping the Movement, please visit the Dudley Flood Center's website at floodcenter.org. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.